Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Now, I don't normally use this familiar opening from Psalm 19 for my sermons, but this morning I'm feeling called to be particularly careful about my words and thoughts. And it's because both the Gospel and the Old Testament reading harbor a deep kind of humility into whomever stands up here, especially this Sunday morning. The Gospel has none other than Jesus preaching before the assembly gathered in the synagogue. And the outcome is nothing short of miraculous. Tough act to follow, to say the least. And the Deuteronomy reading overlays my preacher humility with an ominous sense of doom. I don't pretend to be a prophet, but the threat found in, quote, anyone who presumes to speak in my name, a word that I have not, not commanded, shall die, hangs over me like a kind of theological Damocles sword, in case I misspeak. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, indeed. Now, normally the sermons we give up here generally try to clarify what we think God is calling us collectively to do. In the past, and in some churches still, you might have the preacher up here pointing his finger at you, challenging you. What are you going to do? That's not my style. But this does call into question what really is the role of the preacher. And it's been described as the, quote, window through which the light of God shines. The window through which the light of God shines. It's a beautiful image and calls to mind the bright stained glass windows that splash colors throughout the nave here at the church on a bright Sunday morning. So bright when we're all gathered that right about now the folks here on the left side in the third and fourth aisle would be nearly blinded. That's of course if we were together, but that's another story. I aspire to be through my words and being a window through which the light of God shines to you. Now, we often say that the best sermons we give are the ones we need to hear. It's in those times that I think we are closer to being the window that lets God's light shine through. Now, Jesus teaches in the synagogue, but we're not told what he preaches about. Maybe it's Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Maybe it's one of the parables that populate much of Mark's gospel. We're only told, we're not told only that he spoke with authority. And we're still in the first chapter of the gospel, and already we've had Jesus' baptism, his temptation in the desert, the announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand, the calling of the first disciples, here the opening of his ministry and teaching and healing. And this healing of the man of unclean spirit, I find is often confused with Mark's later healing of the Gerasene demoniac. In our minds, we envision some ranting, wild-eyed, raging freak. But that's not what the text presents us. You see, this guy seems to be part of the synagogue and has apparently been listening to Jesus' teaching. It's only after his words that the man with the unclean spirit becomes unhinged. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And then, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, in Hebrew, impure or unclean simply means anything contrary to the sacred. Anything contrary to the sacred. And I wonder here this Sunday morning, how many of you listening or watching might 
be feeling guilty about a past wrong or so caught up in something like worry or loneliness or anger that it's keeping you from being right with God. Think about it. That too is a kind of contrary to the sacred. It may not reach the level of the man with the unclean spirit in today's story, but it may be keeping you from seeing or feeling the light that God shines to you. And as a pastor here, I can tell you the single biggest thing that weighs on me day in, day out, is that we're somehow missing reaching out to someone who's in pain or lonely or afraid. Someone who's sick or grieving or worried about a friend or family member. Last week in our annual meeting commentary, Reverend Peggy implored you, she all but begged you, to reach out and let us know you're hurting. And I echo that. It is literally the thing that keeps us up awake at night more than anything else. Please, please let us know. Especially in these times when we're all so distant. Jesus responds to the man with the unclean spirit, the guy who's now raising a ruckus in the synagogue, telling truths the others don't yet understand. He responds with a command that begins with the call to be silent. That struck me. It's in silence that transformation happens. Then he commands the spirit out, and it noisily complies. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus is teaching a combination of words and action. Teaching and exorcism today, words and action. As a preacher, he sets an, un, an unattainably high bar. When Jesus talks, people change. What is this? They kept on asking each other. A new teaching? A new preaching? That yields not just information, but transformation? Now, I've talked before about Mark's fastidious economy of words. There's a reason his is the shortest of the Gospels. He's so concise, so specific. So when he repeats a word or phrase, it's worth noting. Today's quick reading has Jesus teaching his words and actions twice described as with authority. And the Greek word is exousia. Now this is not the same as power, that's, that's a different word. But instead, it is the willingness to see that justice he is served. Jesus' authority is grounded in its focus on justice and mercy. At his baptism, which we heard a few weeks ago, the heavens were described as being torn apart. Or put another way, the boundary between heaven and earth had been pierced, and the reign of God was at hand. I like to think that pierced boundary continued throughout Jesus' life, that it grew bigger and bigger in his teachings of justice and mercy, and that it was irrevocably torn open in his passion, crucifixion, and resurrection. I'd like to think that we are now continuing to see the inbreaking of God's kingdom here on earth, that somehow there won't be a need for a preacher to be a win the window through which God's light is shining, but that we'll all be surrounded by his warmth and love forever. See, I'd like to think that, but it's hard. And really, any honest assessment at the actual world around us today makes that inbreaking of God's kingdom seem far, far away. The sinful dominance of aggressive individualism, systemic racism, poverty, and the false narratives of religious nationalism can make kingdom thinking 
seemed premature at best and wishful thinking at worst. But I think now is when we are most called to do our work. In his remarkable post-inauguration sermon given at the National Cathedral last week, North Carolina Bishop William J. Barber, who's the co-founder of the Poor People's Campaign, delivered a powerful and prophetic call to welcome the new administration. Citing the prophet Isaiah, he called out the breach that has ruptured this country and the world, the breach in the nation between what is and what God wants and how God wants things to be that Isaiah warned about. He goes on, quote, transposed to our time, the breach is when we say one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all with our lips, while well, we see the rich and the poor living in two very different Americas. The breach would be knowing that the only way to ensure domestic tranquility is to establish justice. It is pretending that we can address the nation's wounds with simplistic calls for unity. And he calls all of us to be breach repairers. And sure, his sermon, in his sermon, he's addressing the new administration and, and people of great power. And I'd like to think we'd all support their success in these areas. But Barber doesn't leave us off the hook, not at all. Toward the end of his sermon, he issues a call to action that I think speaks to all of us, something we can all do. <coughs> if you get rid of unfair practices, the prophet says, if you are generous with the hungry, if you start giving yourselves to the down and out, then you'll be known as repairers of the breach. If you're generous with the hungry, if you start giving yourselves to the down and out, then you'll be known as repairers of the breach. Last Friday, day before yesterday, just as I was completing this sermon, I got a call from Dee Sanders telling me about the disastrous fire that you heard me mention earlier at the Manor Apartments in Mayflower that happened on Thursday. As I mentioned, this is a community of working poor who have already been struggling during the pandemic. And Dee and team have been in touch with a couple of the families who completely lost their homes. The Red Cross generously provided housing for the families for all of one night. They will be in need of lodging until they can find other places to live. And this struck me as something that we can do today, now, to be known as repairers of the breach. I ask you to please consider helping these people during this time of exceptional need. Right now, they could use financial support. Eventually, they'll need household goods and the like. I think this is a chance for us to, as Reverend Barber says, be generous with the hungry, to give ourselves to the down and out so that we can start to be known as repairers of the breach. Amen.